I read from verse 17 to 19. Matthew 27, verse 17, uh, verse 17 to 19. And the word of God says, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Who will you that are released unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Verse 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, How thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. By the grace of God today, I will be speaking on the subject, Pilate's wife, colon, I had a dream. Pilate's wife, want to look at Pilate's wife, especially her dream and the counsel that he gave, she gave to her husband. Pilate's wife, I had a dream. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us into your presence. We are so grateful for the opportunity to look into the perfect love of liberty and to continue bearing, be not forgetful, hear us, but do us of the works because we know we shall be blessed in our deeds. Thank you for the lessons that we are learning from the lives and times of these various men and faces around the cross. Thank you for what it will leave us with. Thank you for the insight it will give us. Thank you for the better person it will make us. We glorify your name, O oh God. Have your way. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pilate's wife. I had a dream. In the very many years of our teaching, on the many faces around the cross, we have dealt with several people, several persons, like Herod, Simon of Cyrene, who is an African, the repentant robber, St. John the Beloved, Pontius Pilate, Caiaphas, Thomas, Joseph of Arimathea, Peter, Robert, I mean, uh, Judas, and even other people like Malchus, who was the last person that Jesus healed. We have dealt with so many of these. We have even dealt with the place Calvary. We have dealt with the crowd that followed Jesus. But in these several years of speaking about faces around the cross, we have only spoken about one woman. And that is Mary Magdalene. The reason why we have not spoken about many women is not, is not because that women were not involved in the drama of Easter, but because we just had to first, first of all deal with those who are very conspicuous. But now we are beginning to deal and I will deal with so many women 
So the, the choice today to speak about Pilate's wife is a deliberate choice because there are so many women who were also around the cross like the other people whose names I have mentioned. So this is a deliberate choice so that we can know that women were also part of the drama. So strategically part of the drama. In fact, recently when I was, while I was reviewing the, so many other phrases that I've not spoken about, I was so shocked that there are so many women who were involved in one way or the other about the drama of Easter. And today we want to look at one woman, Pilate's wife. For our biographical study today, we want to look at that woman who was simply in the Bible called Pilate's wife. Pontius Pilate's wife. Her name was not given in the Bible. But in my research to speak about this subject, because when you are doing biographical study, you don't just look at the Bible, but you look at other sources. And you prove them and you analyze them and you compare them. To be sure that what you are saying is founded as much as possible on the truth. So this woman, you find her only be mentioned in one verse in the Bible. And that is verse 19, Matthew 27 that we just read. She appears a single time in the gospel of Matthew. However, additional information about her can be found outside the Bible. Now, in biographical study, it is allowed for you to get information outside the Bible. In biographical study, you may not be able to get everything about someone in the Bible. A little bit of research is necessary. And there are so many other credible sources from where you can obtain insight into the life of somebody, into their contribution, into the roles that they played, both actively and passively, depending on what you are looking at. So in putting together this study, I had to consult what we call the apocrypha literature. Apocrypha literature are writings that are not in the 66 books of the Bible, but they are accepted as credible. They are accepted as good insights, apocryphal literature. I had to consult one of the books known as the book of Nicodemus. Well, many of us probably know Nicodemus. And many of us probably never knew that Nicodemus eventually wrote a book. You know, that is part of the apocryphal literature. I also had to consult early church fathers. The early fathers of the church. And what they wrote about what was happening in their days. I also have to consult what we call alternate church traditions. Alternate church traditions. These are things that have been written and have been kept so that those of us who are not alive then can have insight into what happened during that period. I also have to conduct and consult Christian literature and legends. All of these are viable sources. And so many of the information I may be mentioning or some insights I may be giving you may not directly be according to chapter this, verse this. 
but they are well researched and credible. They are reliable and dependable because these are things that have been written. They are standardized. They are balanced as much as possible. And they have been preserved and kept so that you and I can have access into this information. Into this information. Now, someone said this. That the reason why Pilate's wife Nimi was not in the Bible was because what they wanted to put emphasis on was not on her person, but on what she did. I will be speaking about that later. In other words, the emphasis was not on her person. When you look at Caiaphas, the emphasis was on his person. When you look at Simon the Cyrenee, the emphasis was on his person. When you look at Herod Antipas, the emphasis was his person. But when you look at this woman, the emphasis was not on her person, but rather what she did. And that was why her name was not given. In any case, we are going to be looking at some things we know about her. Number one, alternate Christian tradition refers to her by the name of Claudia. C-L-A-U-D-I-A. Claudia, which means lame, which means limp. The Apophrica book, the Gospel of Nicodemus, especially identified her as Claudia Procula. C L A U D I A, then Procula, P R O C U L A. But let me explain something here. That word procula was not a name, was not actually a name. That word procula simply is a word that is used to describe the wife of a procurator or what we call governor of a province. So her actual name is Claudia, but they call her Claudia procula. In other words, Claudia the wife of the governor of a province. That province was Judea. And that procurator was Pontius Pilate. So that was her name, Claudia Procula. Indicating that she was the wife of Pontius Pilate. And um, at times, at times, she was referred to as Claudia Procles, P-R-O-C-L-E-S. The name Claudia is a French baby's name. So essentially, like I'm going to say in the next point, she had a French background. So they called her Claudia. That is her name, Pontius Pilate's wife. And the procula in front of it is to emphasize who she belonged to. Because you see, in Bible days, normally, they don't have surnames. Especially among the Hebrews, among the Jews. You know, they always say, like they do in the north, Ameno, Kano, Garba, Wushishi, Wushishi is a town. You know, and all of that. So they just called out Claudia. That is her name. That's the first thing. 
That's the first thing about her name. That is her name. She may be nameless in scriptures, but she's not nameless in Christian tradition. Christian tradition has got a name for her, and the name is Claudia. C-L-A-U-D-I-A. Number two, from Christian tradition and legend, we have the information she was born in Nabone, N-A-R-B-O-N-N-E, a town in southern France, about 12 miles to the Mediterranean Sea. That was where she was born. She grew up also in that town. She was born in France, grew up in France. She was royal. Don't I want she was from a, a kingly or an emperor kind of family. She had blue blood. When we say blue blood, you know, like for example, me, when you hear Adegboye, that is royal. It means I have princely blood. She was called Claudia, but she had royalty in her genealogy. And I will explain that to you in a minute. She was royal because she was the granddaughter of Caesar Augusta. Caesar Augusta was the emperor. Who was the emperor when Jesus was born? So she was the granddaughter of Caesar Augusta. Caesar Augusta had a wife. Her name was called Julia. But she was an adulteress. And in an adulterous kind of lifestyle, Augusta could not continue with her. But Julia had given birth, as it were, to Claudia. So, Claudia was a granddaughter of Caesar Augusta. But because Caesar Augusta and Julia, who was the mother of Claudia could not continue together. Claudia now married Tiberius. Tiberius, in other words, Emperor Tiberius, Tiberius Caesar, who was the emperor at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. So, our real father was Augustus Caesar, or our real grandfather was Augustus Caesar, who was emperor during Jesus Christ's birth, but her foster father who helped to raise her up was Tiberius Caesar, who was the emperor during the time of Jesus' crucifixion. So whatever way you look at it, she was blue blood. She had a connection with Tiberius. She had a connection with Augusta. She had a connection one way or the other with the Caesar's family, which was the family that she grew up in. That is the Tiberius Caesar's family. That's the family she grew up in. She grew up as a middle child. Middle child means the mother had some children before and then had her and had some children after her. I am a middle child. I'm not a firstborn, I'm not a lastborn. My mother gave birth to three boys, I'm number three, and then gave birth to three girls. 
So looking at the scenario, I am a middle child. That was the kind of person that Claudia was. A few things we need to know about Claudia was that she had a fairly regular upbringing for a noble lady of those days. She was a Roman citizen. She was a woman of high social rank in Rome. She was spirited. When we say somebody is spirited, we mean is high energy, enthusiasm. Somebody with great determination. Somebody that was full of energy. And she was very pretty, beautiful. She was beautiful. She was curious, eager to learn. That's the kind of person we are dealing with. She was eager to learn and intelligent. Now, because of all these qualities, being beautiful, being spirited, being eager to learn, intelligent, she started drifting away. She started drifting. In other words, she started becoming a bad girl. She started drifting. She, she was adrift. To be adrift means to be without purpose, direction and guidance until she met Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, at the time when they met, was a soldier. He was a member of uh, the Roman Cavalier. Cavalier are those soldiers who fight on horsebacks. And so they met. They met and their relationship was quite wonderful. The relationship brought prominence to Pontius Pilate. Because if you are now the boyfriend of the foster favored child of Tiberius, or, and you are now the boyfriend of Augusta Caesar's grandchild, then you're going to have to get some things done. And a lot of things started happening from that time. A lot of things started happening. And at the age of 16, she got married. So the first thing you know about this girl is that she's beautiful, she's intelligent, she's sharp, she's curious. And she was not going adrift like some of these young girls do who are from rich homes. And as she was going adrift, she met a man. The man was from middle class. Pontius Pilate was not from a poor background. He was from middle class. Middle class are the people that you can say are, you know, the rich, not the extremely rich, but the middle class are people who are not poor by any means, who are a little above what you call average, and that's the kind of family background that Pontius Pilate was from. And immediately Pontius Pilate met her, Pontius Pilate helped to steady her. Helped to steady her. She was adrift, she was already growing wings. Intelligent, very curious, energetic, from royal background. Now met this army officer and started a relationship. That relationship got Pontius Pilate noticed. Pontius Pilate was just another soldier like any other person. But when she met this woman, and everybody started knowing that, wow, this girl is connected to... Uh, uh, Caesar Augusta connected to Tiberius 
Caesar he started helping him. He started promoting his career because he was, he was not noticed. So the third thing we know is that at a point, that is the third thing about this woman, at a point, they got married. And Pontius Pilate was appointed the fifth governor of Judea. They got married. She was royalty, and then they got married. And Pontius Pilate was appointed the fifth governor of Judea. Now listen. In those days when you are a governor's wife, you don't travel with the governors wherever they go. You are expected as the wife of an aristocratic person to stay in Rome. You are not expected to follow your husband around. But that was not what happened to Claudia. Claudia broke those rules because she was favored. Claudia was sharp, intelligent. Now, married to somebody who brought about the man's promotion to be governor. You can see how these things even happened long before now. And the rule was, if you are married to an officer who is not posted to a province, the rule is you must not go anywhere, you stay in Rome. You stay in Rome. But when Claudia married Pontius Pilate, she didn't stay in Rome. She went and lived with him in Judea. Now, we can explain this in three ways. Number one, that she obtained permission from Tiberius. Because you are not allowed to do that as a wife. But she obtained permission from Tiberius. And so she followed the husband. And she was all over the places. Number two, it could also be that the reason why she followed the husband around was because she genuinely loved Pilate, Kurikosu, and so could not leave the man out of her sight. She wanted to be with the man all the time. And then number three, it could be because, as it were, their marriage was a happy marriage. Their marriage was a happy marriage. Hand in hand, sitting together, eating together, serving together. Any of these three reasons could explain it. But the most important reason was she used a position of influence, family influence, to break the rules. To follow this man around, even when the man was posted to Judea. So, Pontius Pilate was not an ordinary governor from the beginning. Because of the person she was married, he was married to, which was Claudia. Now, we are told, this is nothing we know about her, that she had two daughters, Marcella and Horatio, and that she had a boy with a twisted leg that Jesus healed. Now the story is getting clear that Jesus healed on an occasion when she disguised herself and went to a synagogue to meet Jesus Christ. The picture is getting clear. She had two daughters, Marcella. Marcella is a feminine for Marcelo. For those of you who are football people, there is a Marcelo in Real Madrid, a footballer. So Marcella, and what Marcella means is warlike. Somebody who is a warrior. And then another child, a girl, Horatio, which means timekeeper. 
Legion has it that they had a son named Pilo, P-I-L-O, who had a twisted left leg and was apparently healed by Jesus when Claudia in disguise went to the synagogue to meet her, I mean to meet him. The fourth thing we know about this woman, listen to this. It was said that Claudia was outgoing, socially ambitious, open-handed, generous. She often entertained and had big, big parties in the governor mansion. She was someone who had great influence on the husband because the husband realized that he's occupying the post because he's married to her. So he gave her liberty. So she enjoyed liberty from day one. While Judah, while, 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 while um, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, he had three palaces. One was in Caesarea, one in Jerusalem, and one in Samaria. And this one was always throwing big, big parties in all those, all those places. Another thing about her, still on that point number four, was that she was superstitious and very interested in religious matters. She was superstitious and very interested. It was her interest in religious matters that made her to pick interest in who Jesus was. When everybody was talking about Jesus. Say, who is that Jesus? And it was reported by tradition that many, many times she would disguise. And she would come into Jesus' crowd and listen to Jesus speak. You can see why she did what she did. She was interested in, in learning. She was curious. I told you that earlier. And she was interested in religion. And she, she took a particular interest in Jesus. And I will tell you who helped her. So it's important for us to realize that she lived in her own palace and socialized. She was a good mixer. You know, like some governor's wife in Nigeria, they are good mixers. But some governor's wife are recluse. Like some minister's wife are good mixers. But some minister's wife are recluse. Claudia was not that kind of a person. She was a good mixer. She was brought up well. She was young, vibrant. She had a life in front of her. She had influence, she had position, she had good husband. And they loved each other passionately. That's the kind of person we are talking about. The title of my message is Pilate's Wife, I Had a Dream. Number five thing we know is this. Generally educated Roman women were often quite powerful figures. Educated Roman women were usually powerful figures. Because what they do is that when they're educated and they have good family background, they use that to get their husband conspicuous appointments. They were often quite powerful figures behind the scene of the husband's administration. And Claudia was no exception. She obviously loved her stubborn husband. She loved the man. She loved her stubborn husband. 
And Pilate, it was said, valued his wife's opinion. Why would he not value it? The position he was occupying was as the pleasure of the woman's family. So she valued whatever she said. And because she was intelligent, some husbands don't want to hear what the wife has to say because the wife is not intelligent. The wife is slow, not creative. But Pilate had in this girl, this woman, an asset. She was always advising Pilate. Pilate was from the middle class. But royalty is still ahead of middle class. And because of the kind of sharp person she was, and the kind of attitude to learn that she had, Pilate respected her opinion. Nothing as far as Pilate is concerned is concluded until she has heard what Claudia Procula has to say. That was the kind of value he put on her. That was the kind of eminent position that that woman occupied in the scheme of things. Pilate obviously valued his wife's position. He respected and admired his wife's judgment and intuition. He respected and admired his wife's judgment and intuition. Claudia was a brave person of grave courage. Look at the story again. Now listen to this. He said, therefore, in verse 17, when they had gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will I, what will I, what will he that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, for those of us who are lawyers, you can imagine when a chief judge or a high court judge comes, read and sits on the judgment seat. I don't think in law anybody's allowed to talk to him again. He's about to decide. But you see, this girl is brave, smart, intelligent, had the husband's confidence because the position the husband occupied was because of her royal background. She was brave. So while Pilate sat on that judgment seat, about to give final statement, Claudia sent him a message. He sent him a message. And this was how she appeared in the Bible. If she never sent him that message, there would have been no record of her. Though we know Pilate must have been married. He sent him a message. Generally speaking, it was unusual in those days for a woman to send counsel to her husband Especially when he was already sitting on the judgment seat, surrounded by noble Roman officers, surrounded by highly placed Jewish priests, for someone to now send a note to her. High-ranking Jews were there. He was already sitting on the judgment seat, which supposed that he has made up his mind. It must have been brave for her to send such a message. And she must have felt that what she had to say was very important and urgent. That the husband should listen to her. I mean, 
at that point when a judge is already sitting on the seat, there is no more offering for sin. He has made up his mind. The judgment is written as far as it's concerned. But this woman, because of her bravery, and I'm going to tell you why she did that in a minute. Because of her bravery, she still tried. Because she knows the man believes in her. She still made an effort. Because she knows that the man is still troubled in mind. She still tried to. That was brave on her side. Now the big question I want to answer, number six, is why did she interfere? It was none of her business. The wives of the wives of procurators or governors of the province were not part of the administration. They were just wives. In fact, they were not supposed to be where the governor is. They were supposed to be in Rome. But this woman broke all the laws because of her privileged position. And not only did she break the law by following the husband around. She did it in such a way that when everybody was noticing, she was still trying to convince and to sway the husband in a particular direction. The big question is, why did she do that? Why did she interfere? That is what we are looking to look at on that point number six. While some people may wonder why this woman, Claudia, will interfere at all, it has been unearthed in some studies, traditional literature, that she was a secret disciple of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you how she met Jesus. She was a socialite. Serious one. She mixed, she partied. She enjoyed herself. In the palaces, she chose so many. That was where she met Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was also, you know, a free woman before she met Christ. She met Mary Magdalene. And so they started, you know, just like girl to girl, woman meet woman, girl meet girl. But along the line, Mary Magdalene got saved. Mary Magdalene got under the ministry of Jesus and got saved and got delivered. And evidently because Claudia was also interested in religion, interested in spiritual things, she started asking Mary Magdalene questions. And again and again, once in a while, she was coming for the services in a disguised way. So that nobody will realize that she was the one. She became inquisitive. Many, many times it has been said that she would go in the cover of the night, especially to the evenings, even programs, stand at the back of the crowd. And as she listened to this man, listened to his message, this touched her heart. Because later on, we're going to read it. When she described Jesus, she didn't describe Jesus like somebody who did not know what Jesus was for. She described Jesus like somebody that she was familiar with. She married Magdalene. 
who was a socialite. Remember when Mary was saved? She was full of demons. Social life. Affair, yeah. Party here today. But I remember in those days when we, were, when we used to drink all over the place. There was a statement we always say. Ojo now, you know, and with all those things, Mary Magdalene had picked up a lot of demons. So when she saw the transformation in Mary Magdalene's life, in the socialite circle, she said, no, I've got to know more about this woman, this man. So she picked interest. She picked interest. She started following stories about him. Started hearing many things about him. Started hearing many things about him. As a socialite, she met some other women in Jesus' circle. Especially the woman that she met that made the greatest impression on her was Mary Magdalene. And it was actually said in those traditions that many, many times they saw them together. Mary Magdalene and Claudia Procula. They think they had become friends. Even after Mary Magdalene was following Jesus Christ around, you know, Mary Magdalene is believed to be the only woman that would have been one of the apostles because of how close she was to Jesus. In fact, there are some evil films that portray Mary Magdalene as a girlfriend of Jesus. So Claudia got close. For those of you who watched 2004, The Passion of Christ, you will see Claudia there. She was acted by an Italian actor known as Claudia Guirini. And what she did was that she supplied towel after towel to Mary Magdalene and made the mother of Jesus to clean off the blood that was flowing on the body of Jesus. If you have an opportunity, watch the film again. And you see her there. That is why she interfered. But some people now said this. Let's go here. Some people now said this. That she was a secret disciple. But actually that it was after Jesus Christ had died, had resurrected, that she made her faith public. A Greek scholar known as Origen Adamantius, O-R-I-G-E-N Adamantius, A-D-A-M-A-N-T-I-U-S, a Greek scholar and early Christian theologian in the second century, while writing a book, Homilies on Matthew, suggested that she became a Christian and came public after Christ's death. She was a secret disciple. But she came public after Christ's death. It has been suggested that the dream that she had, which we are going to talk about in a few minutes, was so to ensure she got totally converted. She was interested in spiritual things. She was interested in Judaism. She learned a lot about Judaism. But she was not a Christian. But after that dream that she talked about, it was believed that that was when she actually became born again. But she had come under the influence of Mary Magdalene. 
She had been in Jesus' services there. Are people like that, they get converted in stages. They first of all begin to come to church. They have Christian friends, but they never really throw in the towel. But the day come and the time comes when they ultimately say, okay, here am I. I'm now ready and I'm now willing. So let's get this thing in perspective. So Origen, who wrote in the second, second century, said this. And they believe that the dream, that dream that she says she had in verse 19 of Matthew 27 was what sealed it. This interpretation was shared by several theologians. Because nobody actually can get born again without Christ having been dead, resurrected, and ascended. So they believe that that was when she actually got born again, but she was already a secret disciple. Somebody who already liked spiritual things. Already someone who likes spiritual things. She is showing interest. She's very curious. Her nature wanted her to research everything, and her desire was to know many things about several religions. She took interest in several religions and learned what she could about this religion. According to Christian legend, because of her faith in Christ, she has been made a saint. Today she's a saint. She's been made a saint by the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And she's referred to as Saint Procula Claudia. So you see that. It is actually even believed by some people that her name is in the New Testament under the ministry of Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 21 when Paul was telling Timothy that there were certain women and men with him that were sending him greetings and the name of one of the person was Claudia. It is believed that that is the same person. So why did she get involved? Why did she, inter why did she intervene? She had a conviction. She was true to herself. She had done a little bit of research. She was from a noble background. She had a great husband. The husband trusted her and believed in her judgment and sense of intuition. And she had become, you know, like many women. In my ministry all over the world, I have seen many women come to inquire and say, my husband must not know I've come. My husband must not know I'm coming to this church. My husband must not know. They are inquisitive. Women are curious. They always want to know. Always want to see. Long throat. Long nose. They always want to know. Always want to see. I mean, that's the nature of all women. But she really interfered. That's why the fact that her position never called for it. That's why that Pilate never requested for it. She really interfered because she had been affected by the ministry of this man. Point number seven. A very significant aspect of this man's part in the faces around the cross was not just that she sent a message of importance to her husband, but the fact that she had a dream. The fact 
that she had a dream. Now, in Bible days, do people believe in dreams? Yes. I want you to notice this woman said, I had a dream. I had a dream. Does God speak to us through dreams? Yes. But God spoke more to people through dreams in the Old Testament. By the time the Holy Ghost came, the Holy Ghost became the primary source through which God speaks to believers. But before the Holy Ghost came, the primary way we God spoke to most people, general people, where you are not a prophet, was through dreams. Ordinarily. I did a study recently of the various people that God spoke to through dreams, and I saw a lot. And you know one thing I discovered? Dreams are even important, were very important in the beginning of the life of Jesus Christ. God spoke to, in dreams to most of the people that were involved in the early life of Jesus Christ. Now let me say this. God speaks to us through dreams. He sure can. The Almighty God has command and control of all the avenues that lead into the soul of a man. He has command and control of all the avenues. But under the old covenant, the most expects, the most, uh, the easiest way of communicating to ordinary people was through dreams. Even when people at times see angels, it is in a dream. And I'm going to mention a few here. God has spoken to countless people through dreams. Number one, Joseph was told to take Mary to be his wife in a dream. Matthew 1.20. That's the first dream. It had to do with Jesus' birth. Mary and Joseph were caught in, and all of a sudden, Mary called Joseph and said, I'm pregnant. He said, hey! And when he started thinking of what to do, the Bible said, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream. So God had been known to use dreams. But it is not a New Testament dispensation. And God had been known to use dreams when he discovered you have made up your mind. Let me show you the scripture. Open to Job 33, 14. I could easily just quote it and go, but let's look at this. Under the Old Testament, when God sees that some people have made up their mind, what he uses to change their mind is dreams. Job 33, 14. Here it goes. He said, for God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man did not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon man, and slumbering upon the bed, then he opened the ear of man and sealed their instruction that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. God had begun to use dreams. But that was before the New Testament came. That was before the Holy Ghost came in our generation. 
As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It's not through dreams anymore. Because the Holy Ghost has been given. And the Holy Ghost is the chief executive of God's instruction on the earth. But God has begun to use dreams. Let me say for more. Number two, the wise men who came to see Jesus, they were told not to return to Herod in a dream. Matthew 2.12. Number three, Joseph was told to flee Egypt with Mary and the baby in a dream. Matthew 2.13. Joseph was also told to leave Egypt and return to Israel because Herod was dead in a dream. Matthew 2.19 and 20. Joseph was also warned to withdraw from Judea and then to go to Galilee and Nazareth where he should be living in a dream. Matthew 2, 22 and 23. So you can see that God used dreams even to give the life of Jesus direction in the very beginning. This woman said, I had a dream. In those days, the prophet would come and give you revelation. But the basic way of God communicating with each individual is through dreams. So he speaks through dreams. Even now he may, but that's not his ordinary way of speaking to us. The Spirit speaketh expressly. Dreams will always need interpretation. But when the Spirit of God speaks to us, he speaks clearly, expressly, distinctly, personally, directly. So this woman said, I had a dream. I had a dream. Her dream was significant in a number of ways. Her dream, that dream she had. Number one, it was the, the only dream in the Bible by a woman. The only dream in the entire Bible by a woman. You cannot see any other place where a woman says she had a dream. So her dream was exceptional. Her dream was unusual. Her dream was not the common kind of dream that when God was speaking here, there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. She never had a dream. All through, it was the man that was having a dream. But her dream was a special dream. It was given with a special purpose at the back of the mind. Number two, it was the only dream that anybody had concerning the end of Christ's life. The other dreams have to do with the early period of Christ's life. So why not a dream at the end of Christ's life? If there were dreams at the beginning of Christ's life, the dreams in the early part of Christ's life preserved him. And the dream at the end of his life here by this woman was intended to preserve him as well. So the dream was not ordinary. It was important. It was crucial. This woman said, I had a dream. Number three thing we know about this dream. Dreams was a medium of communication of God's heart under the Old Testament before the ultimate sacrifice of Christ that opened the way to the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the third thing. It was the way God communicated his mind to most people. Go and do this study. I did a study. Nebuchadnezzar and all these people had dreams. Under the Old Testament, dream was common in every place. 
That was when God spoke to each individual. Under the New Testament, you know, here the Spirit bid me, the Spirit said, the Spirit spoke to me, the angel of the Lord appeared to me physically, and those higher forms of revelation. Dream belongs to the old order. Dream belongs to those who are so noisy in their way of life that they can't be quiet to hear what God will have to say. So God has to put you to sleep. And it is in that sleep he will now speak to withdraw you from what you have made up your mind. The dream of Claudia was intended to withdraw Pilate from what he had made up his mind to do. That was why when he sat on the throne, the message was sent. And she said, I had a dream. Why is that dream important? Listen to me. Number four, because the Romans and the Jews took dream very seriously. Among the Romans and among the Jews, dream was not something to play with. So when she told the husband, I have a dream, that was a serious matter. That's something worthy to be compared. To be, um, something worthy to be considered. Something that the husband ought to look at. I have a dream. I have a dream. I have a dream. Among the Romans and the Jews, dream was important. When someone said, I have a dream, ah, people would stop and listen. Number five reason why that dream was important. It was a disturbing dream. How many of you have had a dream and it looks so serious and look so disturbing, like a nightmare? And the woman said, it's not just a dream. It's a nightmare. This is what Subtraction says. He said, I've had much trouble this day. Another one said, I suffered. Have you ever been in a dream and in the dream you suffer and when you wake up, you are so physically exhausted and tired? It was so real. But you know what happened? What she feared and she saw in the dream came to pass, which was the destruction of Paltos Pilate and the destruction of Jerusalem. That was what he saw in her dream. That dream spoke about the consequences because what happened after they crucified Christ, the Romans came into Jerusalem and they killed people, executed people until blood was literally flowing through the street of Jerusalem. That was the nightmarish part of the dream that she saw. The consequence of having something to do with crucified Christ. You know the people said, let the blood of this man come upon us and on our children. And that was exactly what happened. But that dream was there. The woman said, I like this transition. He said, I have been upset today because of a dream I had of him. I have been upset. Have you ever had a dream and you are sick the next day? Have you ever had that kind of a dream? You have a dream and the next day you are dull. You have a dream and the next day you are not yourself. That was the kind of dream she had. And when she spoke to the husband, it was said that she had never had a dream before that necessitated her speaking to her husband about it. 
And you know, the dream was hard. Husband and wife were sleeping on the bed. When they woke up, Pilate, when they wanted to, those who went and captured Jesus, they brought him to Pilate. When they woke him up, the wife was still sleeping. So the dream came after Jesus was already in the judgment, was already in the judgment hall. He said, I have been upset. One translation says, I like this, I have been through a long and troubled night. Have you ever gone through a dream and you wake up and you can't even want to sleep again? Long and troubled night. One one says, today I had a dream about him and it troubled me very much. She saw blood in the dream. Evidently she was thinking about the blood of Jesus. But not only was the blood of Jesus shed, but the blood of Jerusalem was literally shed. They said, people were crucified to a point that they didn't have crosses anymore to crucify people. That was what she saw. Nightmare. Nightmare. Another one says, I like this, I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Number six points. I mean, uh, the sixth thing, I've told you five of them. Under that point, it was a disturbing dream. Number six, it was a message, the last warning to Pilate through a trusted hand. This is somebody you trust. This is somebody who is intelligent. This is somebody who's helped you before. This is somebody whose sense of judgment and intuition you respect. That dream was so important because it was Pilate's last warning. After that, the next thing that happened to Pilate was that some Samaritan did something that was wrong and Pilate dealt with them harshly. Tiberius Caesar, listen to this, Tiberius Caesar had about what happened. He sent for Pilate to come. Before Pilate could get to Rome, Tiberius Caesar died. There was now a new emperor, Emperor Caligula. When Pilate came, he dealt with Pilate so harshly and sent him to exile. When Pilate got to exile, Pilate could not face it. Because there's a loss of position, a loss of eye, that he committed suicide. And Claudia Procula fully and finally became a member of Jesus' circle. But she did the last thing. I'm going to say a few things in a few minutes. And then you realize the importance of the need for you to speak up. When that woman said, I have a dream, Romans believe in dreams. Jews believe in dreams. And then he told Pilate, it's a nightmare. It's not an ordinary dream. Now, let me say one more thing about this woman's dream. You know, I said earlier on that it is the belief of historians like Origen that God sent that dream to Claudia Procula so that she can be converted. 
But there is another argument. Some other theologians believed that the devil sent that dream to Claudia Procula so that Claudia, by the influence she had on her husband, will stop Jesus Christ from going to the cross. And if Jesus does not go to the cross, our salvation will not be guaranteed. Because without the shedding of sin, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And you know what I did? I investigated it. Listen to what happened. Church historians now said this. That if for any reason, Pilate have refused to crucify Jesus according to the laws of Rome, Jesus will still have been crucified. Because a way will have been found for him to have been crucified according to the wish of the Jews. Because they were already calling him king, which the Romans were not going to accept. And if you call yourself a king, like you call it a queen, an army, the judgment is still death. So that argument looks sensible. The problem was the devil, but it does not look probable. Because no matter what happened, God had delineated the way he was going to die. But does he have to die by the hand of Pontius Pilate? No, he doesn't have. If Judas refused to, to betray Jesus, do you think Jesus would still have been betrayed? He would have been. Somebody sent me a text yesterday, I laughed. He said, well, they want to tell us that Easter has been postponed. How many of you saw that text? Okay, it was very funny. Jesus said, the son of man goeth, as has been written. But woe unto him by will, he goeth. It would have been better if the person had not been born. What meant that Judas doesn't have to be. Pilate did not have to be the one to crucify Christ. If he didn't, there would have been a way found for Christ to still be crucified and the claim of justice to still be satisfied. Do you understand what I've said? Is it very clear to you? There is, however, something I want to say about this man before I, uh, this woman before I close. And I want you to look at it very closely. And this is the eighth thing we know about this man. I mean, about this woman. The eighth particular important thing about Claudia is that of all the faces around the cross, she was the only one that proclaimed Jesus was innocent. Of all the faces around the cross, she was the only one that proclaimed that Jesus was innocent. And she was the only one that tried all she could, that did all she could to protect him from going to the cross. She was the only one. She was the only one. Every other person wanted him dead. All the faces were being considered. Caiaphas, Annas wanted him dead. Nobody pleaded his case. Nobody. Why was it so? Because she was the only one who gave counsel to the husband. You see, let me say this to you. The, 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 before the event, Claudia had a strong position in the husband's life. The husband trusted Claudia. And Claudia wanted to use that to help Jesus. By doing what? 
by offering him counsel. Look at what she said. She said two things. Two things she said. He said, have nothing to do with that man. Have nothing to do. That's a good advice. Why? He said, because the man is righteous. Nobody ever said that concerning Jesus Christ among the faces around the cross. He said, have nothing to do. It was a counsel, an advice. The last advice have nothing to do with that man. He said, because he was righteous. One righteous says, because he was he is upright. Another one says, because he's innocent. Another one says, he is just. Another one says, he is noble. Another one says, he is not guilty. So, have nothing to do. What was she offering? That's what we call counsel. Advice. Information. Let me tell you this. Listen carefully to me. Before you go down for the last time in anything that you are going to do in life, there will be one final advice from somebody. One final advice from somebody. And that man called Pontius Pilate rejected it. He rejected it. I always say this to people. When you see something happen, there was a guy who came to our house. He was going to travel back to Abekuta. Brother Joe and I was just discussing this a few days ago. He was going to travel back to Abekuta. And he was in my house that day around 4.30. And he said, I'm going to Abekuta. And I said, why do you have to go? Don't go now. Why do you have to go? You don't have to go. He said, no, sir, I have to go. There is always a last opportunity. It came in form of a dream to withdraw man from his purpose. It could come in form of a cancer. Don't marry that man. Don't go to that place. Don't have anything to do with that group. Don't listen to that. It will always come. But most times, people reject counsel. If people listen to counsel, many tragedies will have been averted. Many tragedies. Marital tragedies, financial tragedies, ministerial tragedies. If people listen to counsel, God will not leave himself without a witness. You will never be able to blame God that he didn't want you. Even the last minute, there will be somebody who says something to withdraw you from that thing. But when you don't listen, there is no more offering for sin. He said, I have nothing to do. He said, I have a dream. It was a nightmare. I've been troubled. I've been obsessed. I've been unhappy. I've been feeling low since that dream. I was telling that man that day. I said, don't go. Don't go. Don't go. He said, Papa Kido said, I'm going. He left. Joseph and I were still talking about it recently. He got to where he was going that night. Slept. He would have said, ah, ah. What did Baba say that I was free for? Early hours, four o'clock in the morning. He was praying in the spirit. And some people were going outside. And they told him, keep quiet. What kind of prayer are you praying? Ah. He said, what kind are you talking? Somebody who's praying, you know, he's answering people speaking outside. 
And they told him, we are armed robbers. We are going to come in and kill you. He said, you can't kill me. And they went inside and shot him three times in the chest, execution style. He wouldn't have been in that place to be killed if he did listen to that last advice. You need to ask yourself this question. This advice I'm hearing, is it the last one? Even if you're going to go on a journey and have accident, somebody will still be sent to you by God to withdraw you from your purpose. But very many times, we think there's nothing. Pilate thought there was nothing. He washed his hand. To obey is better than sacrifice. Washing of hand, can you wash your conscience? You can't. He washed his hands. I'm free from blood is thicker than water. He had washed his hands several times before now on some people. Every dream is not the same. This woman said, this dream cost me wahalao. I feel very bad since I had it. I'm not feeling good. That man's life will have been saved. Jesus will still have been executed because the Roman government will have come up and the Jewish people will have accused him of, 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 of calling himself a king. And the Roman government will have said, And they will have still given him the death penalty by crucifixion on the cross. If it's going to happen, show well over there. One of our sisters came to church here, in this church. On a Sunday, said, Daddy, I'm traveling. I said, Where are you going to? He said, I'm going to Lagos, sir. I said, Do you have to go today? There is always that last warning. Always check it in your spirit. Do you have to go today? Do you have to go? Do you have to go? Is it that necessary? Put a day or two between it. She said, She doesn't have to go. That she's just going home to greet her people. I said, okay, why don't you wait until during the week? She said, okay, sir. Okay, sir. And she went and waited. Why is there she came to church? Why? Yes. She said, sir, I'm going to that trip I told you about on Thursday. I said, I should not go on Monday, on Sunday. He said, sir, do you know what happened? I said, no. He said, the people who went in that car had an accident and all of them died. He said, I'm leaving today. Because I believe my prophet. The woman said, listen, that's why her dream is important. The message of her dream. Romans respect dream. Jews respect dreams. This woman said, this dream is unlike any other dream I've had. Listen to me. Many times you will have dreams like that. Some of you foolishly will go ahead. It is going to be at your own peril. I'm not the kind of person that dreams, but if I have a dream that's a nightmare, whatever message is trying to pass across to me, I will take it. Not because that's the primary way of God leading, but that is God's supreme way after you will not listen to anything. When you sleep, he will now say it that he may withdraw you from your purpose, what you have made up your mind to do. This woman Give counsel. Many of us commonize counsel. I will tell you the importance of counsel as people give it to you. People don't have to give you counsel. 
when you give some people counsel, you become enemies. But that does not mean that you don't give them counsel. Immediately Pontius Pilate committed suicide, Claudia Procula just became a full-time Christian. Nothing to lose. I warned him. You see, that's one world that's very difficult. I told you. I told you. I told you. That is a word I don't always want to tell anybody. I told you. I told you about that person. One day, a man came to the house here in Illinois. He told me about this business. I said, come easy, go easy. We do this, we do this, we do this. We do this. And I had a dream. I don't really dream. And in that dream, we were tearing money. Money is not something to be teared. Or don't talk something to be torn, Abby. Which one is English now? Whichever one. Oh, someone got him on so. My yahoo, that's all. You know, <laughs> money is not something to be torn. So when I woke up, I saw torture. And we were tearing money and laughing. Tearing money. Ah, ah. I said, the man came the next day, wanted to collect check. I said, no check. He said, why? I told him the dream. I said, in the physical, I cannot tear money. Even 1,000 to tear it. Or 500, I've never done it. But in that one, we are just tearing it. And we are enjoying it. I said, mm-mm. God will still do something to make it impossible. He showed it to me in a dream. I don't dream usually. Because before I go to bed, sleep without knowing I have slept. The sleep of a liberal man is sweet. Ecclesiastes 5.12. Whether he eats small or little. At times, my wife will come put food. Everything set. I'll take one or two spoons. I say, let me rest a little. Laga. So when I dream, I know that that is important. When God points to anything in a dream, I'm not saying that's the ordinary way of living. But I can assure you, it's the way which God guides us. I'm not saying you have the gift of dreams. Some people are going to look Her counsel was good counsel. Have nothing to do with this innocent man. Have nothing to do with this. Have nothing to do. Her counsel was a warning against sin. Her husband was about to sin. Kill an innocent blood. They that rule in the affairs of men must be just. Her counsel was a counsel that had overwhelming consequences. It was a counsel, however, that was rejected. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this. You need counsel in life. I'm going to give you seven important reasons why you need counsel. If the counsel come through somebody calling you and talking to you, or the counsel come in a personal dream, or the counsel come in whatever way, Learn not to disrespect or despise counsel. It is usually very costly. That is what this woman is remembered for. That dream. I have a dream! This man is innocent. Don't have anything to do with this man. Leave him alone. 
be the person. Like my father used to say, when a woman advised him, he said, Obey, lassen, lassen. Obey, and take into. Kidding, sir. Don't mess up. Obey, lassen, lassen. Until one day he was counseled by my stepmother not to travel, and he traveled. He had an accident. He came back with a broken leg. He said, Obey, lassen, lassen. I said, He died. I said, You say, Yeah, you witch. I didn't hear. I didn't hear. I didn't hear. I didn't hear. Well, she had no, she was just telling what was going to happen. She had that dream and she told him. He said, eh, Obey, lesson, lesson. Obey, lesson, lesson. From that day, he stopped it. He never said that again. Obey, lesson, lesson. I think I said, if she advised, he said, eh, Okay, okay. I say, I say, when I say, Baba, because we were very close, I was, I was there when he died, you know. I was the only one at home. So what do you think about that? He said, ah, I will be a German in me, a German in me. But we're going to marry. A German, I said, yeah, yeah. But when the man launched the mullet, oh, he got to sell a swimming. German, I will be. Tom, I said, what will I do? They want you. Ah, kill and soy, Baba, kill and soy. Kill and soy. Kill and soy. <laughs> you and I need counsel. And listen to this. Never put yourself in a position where you don't listen to counsel. That's the message. And for those of us who give counsel, let me say this to you. When you know a counsel is to be given, give it. No matter what it is. That's one of the things we learn from this woman. When there is something happening, God speaks through dreams. We need to have the courage to speak up for people we know who are wrongly accused. And we need to have courage to speak to tell people the truth if friendship will suffer. Tell them the truth. Paul was telling the Galatian Christians, he said, have I now become your enemy because I told you the truth? But say it nonetheless. The woman woke up. He looked for the husband. Where is he? He's already on the judgment street. He ran. He cancelled the husband against evil, not for evil. There are some women who are cancelling their husband for evil. Don't counsel like that. Give good counsel. Say, don't have anything to do with this evil. Don't have anything to do with that evil. Don't have anything to do with this. Don't have anything to do with that. That is the main message of Pilate's wife. When Pilate did what? Enter Konkatoshe. Kiloshe. Tinue loshe. Akoenka odeloshe. Is your what you want to do, loshe? Now, quickly, I will just go through this. We need counsel for a number of reasons. Number one, it is commanded by scriptures. It is one way God leads us. And there are certain things we can never know without counsel. Psalm 73, 24, guide me with your counsel. And thereafter, receive me up to glory. 
Proverbs 19.21 There are many devices in the heart of a man The counsel of the Lord shall stand We need counsel Because it's commanded in scriptures The word of God says it very clearly Psalm 33.11 The counsel of the Lord shall stand Number two reason why we need counsel It is an easier way to hear from God By those who cannot And who have not develop their hearing. If you have not developed your ability to hear the Holy Spirit speak, counsel is a very safe way to decide what to choose, to decide where to go. It's safe. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 11, 14. What I'm sharing with you is part of a book that I'm writing. Decision making made easy. Pilate's wife. If Pilate never knew the decision to take, he said, listen, I had a dream. Authentic. Romans believe in dream. Jews believe in dream. And it's a nightmare. Never have anything to do. That's all. Even 30 rebadi. Even if you don't hear from God, counsel by people who are in touch with heaven. Counsel by people who have experience. This woman was closer to God than the husband. Pilate was serving heathen gods. Bow before the graven images. Now this woman has discovered the truth. She has met Jesus. And the son, Tilo, Pilo, is a testimony because his leg has been healed. Number three, we need counsel. How? It's a way to put to test whatever leading of God we think we have received. If you have a leading from God, you have already received that healing. Let me tell you this. The Bible did not say in the mouth of one person. How do I test it? Go to somebody and tell him your situation and hear the advice. If this person is in close connection with God, is mature in the faith, and is not afraid to tell you what he needs to tell you, whatever he says will put to test whatever you say you have received. If what you have received is genuine, the cancer will confirm it. If what you have received is not genuine, the cancer will disannul it. So why do we need counsel? It's a way to put to test whatever other leading. Counsel balances out what I've had on my own. Number four. Counsel is a way of clearing confusion in guidance. Psalm 71 verse 1. For in thee, O Lord, if I put my trust, let me not be confused. As I'm speaking this morning, there are people who are confused here. To be, not to be. To go, not to go. To have, not to have. To do, not to do. All of those things, and you are confused. You are in a place where two ways meet. You don't know whether to go to the right or go to the left. You know what counsel does? 
He clears it. Do you know that was the state that Pontius Pilate was? Read Matthew 27, 22. He said, what then shall I do with this Jesus, which is called Christ? Confused. Mesmerized. He was between the emperor. If he did not condemn Jesus, the emperor will be told he's not his friend. If he condemned Jesus, some of the Jewish people would not be happy with him. He was confused. Now your wife now comes and give you cancer. That's what we're talking about. Claudia was from a good family background, but she had interest in Christianity and in religion. She was a socialite. But when she saw what happened to Mary Magdalene, she had a new thinking. She had an opportunity to show that you can be high up there and still stand for the truth. Don't have anything to do. Don't have anything to do with this woman. And when the husband ran contrary to what he advised, the husband suffered for it. She didn't suffer for it. Are you confused? Should I, should I not? Should I travel, should I? Let me say this to you. If you doubt anything, don't do it. If you doubt. I preach a message, he has to go out to know the will of God. That's one of the points that I made there. If you doubt, don't. If you have two minds, should I travel, should I not travel? The answer is, don't go anywhere. Sit down. Forcing myself to go. Who can deal with you? It being referred to you know. Happy is a man who does not condemn himself in the things that he approves. Once there's a double-mindedness about it, a double-minded man is unstable. In all his ways, let not that man think he will receive anything from God. Once you begin to waver, you've lost it. He that waver is he that wavers is damned because he does not eat in faith. Whatsoever is done of faith is sin. Number five reason. Counsel helps to present us with various sides to any issue concerning which we need to know the mind of God. Counsel helps you to look at the same thing from another side. The side that, Potiphar, that Pontius Pilate was looking at was envy. For envy, they brought him. For envy, they brought him. But the side that this one was looking at was not these people. I'm not blaming the people. You don't have anything to do. Cancer gives you another side. Cancer gives you another direction to look at the situation. We need counsel. Blunders and expensive mistakes will be reduced in our lives when we know how to guide our life with counsel. Show me your ways. Lead me in a straight path. In the marching of counselors, there is safety. Without counsel, purpose is disappointed. 
Proverbs 15.22. Proverbs 20.18. Every purpose is served by good counsel. With good advice, you will fight your war. Don't go to war without counsel. Every battle is not like every other battle. Choose your fight and choose your strategy if you want to win. Why do I need counsel? Number six, it is a great and useful weapon for fighting the fight of faith. The Bible said fight the good fight. Counsel is a weapon. Blessed be the Lord God who teared my hands to warm my fingers to fight. I remember some years ago, there was somebody I wanted to go and fight. I had to go and fight the person. And I asked one man, I said, this is what's happening. He said, ah, don't try it. That is what he wants, for you to fight. Rough, rough, fight. He said, don't try it. And when I did not fight the person, the person was disappointed. And later told me that he was expecting me to fight him now. That when I did not fight him, he didn't like it. It was cancer. Because God said, me, do me, do me. But he said, no. He said, if you fight him, you come down to his level. He said, operate on the high terrain of forgiveness. Forgive him. Look away from him. Don't bring yourself low. That's what he wants. My father said one day that somebody wanted to fight him. And the first thing that was the person removed all his clothes. My father said, he just started begging. Somebody wants to fight you, remove all their clothes. There is nothing more. There is a woman in our yard in those days. Reverend Mingaluka, we remember. If she comes to you to fight you, the first thing she will do is alter herself. She said, you can tell me that my eye is black. You can tell me I'm short. You can tell me I'm ugly. You can tell me everything. He said, so what will you tell me? The person said, there's nothing. You have said everything. What is that to say again? Counsel is important. Lay it to heart. Don't despise it. Whoever gives it to you. It could be by the road. It could be by the way. It could be anywhere. Because that is usually God's last chance to get to you. To withdraw you from what you've made up your mind to do. Hey, I've made up my mind. <laughs> you know, we always say, it, I've made up my mind. I will marry him. I've made up my mind. I will leave Nigeria. I've made up my mind. I will buy the car. I've made up my mind. One man made up their mind to buy a car. And when he bought the car, he had bought the car and brought it. I said, ah. I said, who sold you this car? He didn't know that the person tried to offer me the car. And I didn't buy it. He said, so and so offered me the car. He said, and I made up my mind I was going to buy it. He's not riding the car now. The car is riding him. He's not riding the car. Simple advice. Advice from a doctor. Advice from a mechanic. Advice from your neighbor. Advice from your colleagues. Apart from your senior. Simple advice. Some people don't want it. I made up my mind. I'm traveling. Hold it loosely. Because you may be wrong. When God cannot show us things anymore, you know what he does? He shows somebody else who's close to us. 
Somebody who's got our ears. And that person will warn you. Finally, make sure you receive counsel because of the implications of not heeding to counsel. Implications. If you do right, there are consequences. If you do wrong, there are consequences. Why don't you do right and face the consequences? But let me say this to you. Whenever you are going to have to choose or decide or conclude, let your heart and mind still be open to what? Counsel. Let me tell you a final story here. A member of our church here said wanted to get married. He's lived out of this town for some time, wanted to get married. And was with a woman. And so they came to this church, they joined the church. And when they joined the church, they still continued with their process of getting married. So I now said, ah, by the way, you and your wife should see me in my house so that I can give you advice. That day, a minister of mine, who is a friend here in this town, was visiting me at home. And so when they came in, I saw the man's face changed. So after they left, the man still stayed behind. He said, what is that woman trying to do with this man? He said, get married, of course. He said, married? He said, that woman does not have a womb. He said, I pastored her in Ibadan. And when she performed serectomy, I was there. Why is she trying to get married? Is the man aware? I said, I don't think so. So eventually, I called him. It was cancer. So I asked the man. I said, this, the person who got married, I said, how much of her do you know? And we started asking normal questions. Okay, my dear sister, have you ever had a baby before? No. Do you have a womb? Straight question. You know me. He said, womb, I said, I'm a woman. I said, mm. Do you currently have a faculty that is known as womb? Her face changed. She broke down. She started crying. What was it that made it possible for her and for that man to evade that situation? Counsel. They were going to get married. They were already being counseled generally. But she came to me and said, sir, I just wanted to tell us a few things, just a few things. And I told her, and him, come go home. It was there that somebody came. God will not keep his eyes shut and his ears locked if there is still one more thing to do. Let me say this to you. Lift up your hand and say, God, if there is still one more thing I need to know about what I've made up my mind to do, send help to me in form of counsel. Stand on your feet. Let's bless God. Father, we want to thank you for the entrance of your word has brought light 
and brought understanding to the simple. We glorify your name because we will never remain the same again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Put your hands on your ears and say, my ears are listening. My minds are open. I am not someone who will not listen to counsel. I'm open to counsel. I'm open to inflow of information. I'm open to other forms of insight from other people. I want to hear something different from what I've made up my mind to do. Send your counselor, multitude of counselors, reliable counselors, faithful counselors, faithful counselor who will not hold back the truth from me. They will say the way it ought to be said. I accept it. I receive it. I accept it. I receive it. I accept counselors into my life. I accept faithful, reliable counselors into my life. My ears are open. My spirit is receptive. I hear. I listen. I accept. I amen. I am open to correction. I'm open to reproof. I'm open, oh God. I'm open, oh God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Bow your heads, close your eyes. This is a great day of counsel. A last ditched information. If you are born again and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues, raise up your hand. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Nobody's looking anywhere. All those whose hands are raised, please open your eyes and look around you. If there is anybody whose hand is not raised, just put that hand on his shoulder or her shoulder and begin to pray for them. Go ahead. Anybody near you, anybody around you whose hand is not raised, just put your hand on their shoulder and begin to pray for them. Begin to pray for them in tongues. Begin to pray for them in understanding. Begin to pray for them right now. If somebody has put hand on your shoulder, I want to pray for you. Please come forward here right now. Come forward here right now. If somebody has put their hand on your shoulder and they have prayed for you or they are praying for you, wherever you are, just come right out here. God bless you. Begin to come here now. God bless you. Leave your seats and come here productively. Come here to meet your God. Come here to be touched. Come here to be transformed. Go ahead. We are waiting for you. This is the day the Lord has made. Don't sit there. Don't hang in there. Don't just stand there. Don't just waste time there. Don't just relax there. This counsel. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whosoever confesses and forsaken them shall obtain mercy. Wherever you are, step forward. Step out. Step forward. Step out. Right now. Okay, and we draw in the net. Thank you, Heavenly Father. And so, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these sisters and brothers who have come forward. Lord, they have made up their mind to yield, to submit, to be prayed for, to be prayed with, to be prayed upon. Thank you for a new day and what you are going to do with their lives. We exalt you, we extol you, we glorify you, we magnify you. We thank you because what is going to happen today will be permanent. And to bring out the beauty and the glory of your name in their lives. 
and they will never remain the same again. Thank you for a thorough job, oh God, through the counselors and the people who are going to follow them up so that they are going to be retained for your kingdom. We worship you, oh God.